All right. As we begin today in, this is the series, The King and His Kingdom, right? And we're bringing it to a close. We've spent how many months doing this, and we're bringing it to a close, and, and, and Jesus is closing the Sermon on the Mount with four warnings. Today we're going to look at the, the two roads, the two gates, the two ways, they call it, verses 13 and 14 of chapter 7, so get your Bibles out, we're going to look at this. But then going forward over the next couple of weeks, we're going to look at the two trees, the one that produces good fruit, the one that produces bad fruit. And all these things, these last four warnings or challenges that Jesus is giving us are all in couplets. Today's the wide and the narrow gate. Next week is the good fruit and bad fruit. After that, then it's going to be the two claims. Lord, didn't we say we did all this for you? But Jesus is going to say, no, depart, I don't know you. Then finally, we have the two builders, the wise man and the foolish man, building their foundations on the word of God or not. And, and so those, that's where we're going the next few weeks. But today, we're going to look at the, the two gates or the two ways or the two roads that they, they, they intersperse those things. So, need to get the context. From Matthew chapter 5, verse 1, to Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, we've seen some marvelous, marvelous teaching from Jesus. Some really neat stuff. He taught us about our attitudes during the beatitude part of that talked about uh, marriage and giving, praying, fasting, materialism, worry, wrongly judging others, and then back again to prayer. And he topped the whole thing off with, by giving us uh, the golden rule. Start treating others the way that you want to be treated. That's how we ended last week. So then Jesus then to bring the sermon to a close, he's basically asking, this is the question that he's asking today. Now that you've heard all this, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? What is the point of listening to all that I've said if you don't do anything about it? So that's where we're going tonight. You've heard all these sermons. This is the 28th sermon in this series. And uh, you've heard 27 other sermons that Jesus is saying, this is how you really need to live. And now he's asking the question, what are you going to do about it tonight, today? So, the rest of Matthew 7 is sort of a motivational challenge to us, to his disciples, concerning what we've listened to. Kent Hughes, in his book about the, the, the Sermon on the Mount, he says, the Savior refuses to let his listeners bask in the grandeur of the sermon's thought. He knows that admiration without action is deadly. The conviction without commitment will dull one's spirituality. And that's what he's saying. That's what they're trying to get across in, in this message. So let's dive into verses 13 and 14. And we're going to see that this is not a suggestion. It's not a suggestion, but this is what Jesus is telling us to do. Verse 13, it says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Now, a lot of people use these, this scripture 
to uh, lead people to the Lord, which is good, it's right, it's what the meaning is this is all about, but it doesn't stop there. It goes deeper than just salvation, what we're going to see today. And over these past 27 sermons that we said, this is what Jesus has been talking about. We're going to see what it means. He Again, he taught us about praying and fasting and materialism and worry and judgmentalism and, and all these things. And when we interpret scripture, whenever we study the word of God, what do you got to do? Look at the context. So he's talking to his disciples. He's talking to a number of people that came. If you look at chapter 5, verse 1, you'll see that there was a great crowd assembled them. And he called his disciples to him and he began to teach them. So he was talking to his disciples, but all these other people were hearing it. So there were unsaved people and saved people in the crowd. That we're, this is the context that we're looking at. So there, there, there were a lot of people that came just to hear what Jesus had to say, to be healed from some disease or crippling, uh, damaging things that were going on in their bodies. So throughout the Bible, as you study the Bible, you'll see this often. There's something going on and they come to a pivotal point where they have to make a decision what they're going to do. So I thought of, of, of the time of Joshua. We just got through the book of Joshua in our men's Bible study, so this is fresh in my mind. And, and when they went into uh, Jericho, two spies, they went into the house of Rahab, and, and they, she hid them and, uh, and, until the, the peop, townspeople were gone. And when they came out, she said... To, to these two spies that the people of Jericho feared the Israelites. They were basically shaking in their sandals of, for fear, knowing that they're in trouble. Something's going to happen that God is going to overrule and, and, and destroy them. And so she begged them, when that happens, please spare my life. So this is the choice she had to make. In Joshua 2, verse 14, on the screen, it says, the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. So here's her, here's her the, the townspeople could have came and, and started putting pressure on her. She could have caved in and told the plans of what was going to be happening, but she had a choice to make. I'm not going to do that. And she didn't, and so what happened is her and her family were all rescued and saved from that destruction. Then you go to the end of Joshua. I love this part. In Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15, it says, Now therefore, this is Joshua speaking to all the people of Israel. He said, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whom the land, in the land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. You have a decision. He drew the line in the sand and said, you've got to choose. You can't have both. It's either got to be them or God. So this is the, the decision so this is the same principle that Jesus was saying here. He was giving the people 
a choice. That brings us to our two gates. Let's look at, let's look at the narrow gate and the one that is wide. So in the King James Version, it says that, that this is the straight gate, which is kind of limiting because it, the, it's never uh, been very straight road. That, is, that narrow road is not straight. There's lots of... You can't see around the corner. This is where we get the saying, um, walk the straight and narrow. This is where we get that from. But following that narrow road, it's neither straight or easy. Point number two is there's a conflict that rages in our heart. There's a conflict. And this conflict is, is described here in, the, in these two verses. So there's choices that we're faced with daily, and they often generate uh, conflict in our hearts. So I'm, am I going to act on what I heard, what Jesus is challenging me to do, or am I going to continue to walk in my own path of ease and comfort? Many times when, when I'm uh, getting ready to go ride my bicycle, I'll take an ass assessment of my body. Not how fat it is or how skinny, but how I feel. How am I feeling today? Am I feeling energetic or am I tired from the long ride I did yesterday? That will determine which route I take. If I'm tired, I take the easy road along the river that doesn't have too many hills. If I'm full of energy, I'll go and I'll go 30, 40 miles around. It'll take me uh, 30, 40 miles to get to Easton from my house, which is only 10 miles away. And I'm going up over Jugtown Mountain and different things. Because that's how I feel. I, I want to push myself. All right? So here he's saying there's a conflict going on in the body, in our minds, in our hearts, in our, in our souls, saying, what am I going to do? Am I tired? Do I just want to take the easy way? Or am I going to say, God, you know what? Your way is better than my way. I'm going to take your way. So to understand this conflict, we don't have to look any farther than our own heart. Because our heart, we, we, can, we hear our heart. So as we get into this, keep the context in mind what he's talking about. How are you going to deal with Jesus challenged us about giving to the poor? What are you going to do about that? What, you learned that, that your heart, you, you've, been, you've been a judgmental person. What are you going to do about that? This is where we're going. A lot of times, if you're anything like me, I, I stuff that in the back burner and I'll say, okay, uh, I'll deal with that later. You know, I don't, I, I, I don't want to have to deal with that right now. So I push it off to the side and, and I end up not dealing with it. Jesus is saying, now is the time we have to. We, we, we don't have a problem putting ourselves up on that uh, judgmental throne that Pastor Tim was talking about last week. We need to crawl down off of that. And, and not be so judgmental. What are we going to do about it? Then, when we decide to walk the way Christ walked, that's when the real battle begins in our heart. That's where it happens. I lived in Thailand, and uh, we discovered a cave near our village. And, and so John and I, our co-worker, and, and we took all the kids. Remember that, Caleb? We took the kids and some flashlights, and we went spelunking in this, in this cave. There was no guide to take us through. 
we walked in and there was this huge open room. It was probably almost as big as this sanctuary. And we walked into that, that cave and it was, wow, this is pretty cool. There's a lot of room. But as we started going deeper and deeper into the crevices of this mountain, we realized there were some times that we literally had to get on our hands and knees and crawl through in order to get through this little barrier and it opened up into this spacious, beautiful room. Unexplored. Nobody's ever, well, there's probably been people there, but there's, there's nothing damaged in it and it's, it's like pure, this stalactites and stalagmites that have water dripping down and, and you're almost afraid to touch them. There's no animals in there and it was just amazing. But the thing was, we couldn't even take a backpack through those small crevices. They were so small that there's no way we could take luggage with us. We could barely fit ourselves through there. Well, take that picture and, 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 and apply that to that narrow gate. Because we've all seen the narrow gate. We've seen pictures of the narrow and the wide gate. But those pictures don't do justice of what... what that really means. Let's look at the meaning of the word in verse 13. That word narrow in verse 13 is a picture of a road or a gate that is filled with obstacles. It's filled with obstacles. Temptations to turn around and go back the other way. If we would have thought, okay, uh, this cave must be ending. It's too narrow here for us to get through. Instead of squeezing through there, we would have missed out on that beautiful cave opening, those rooms were so amazing. The word narrow means to, it's filled with obstacles. It's too narrow to carry luggage through the opening. And we need to admit to ourselves, we need to admit that we have some baggage that we're carrying with us, be it judgmentalism, fear, anger, uh, sexual perversions, prejudices, or bitterness, just to name a few. The list goes on and on of things that we're carrying around with us that God says, you don't have to have that with you. You don't have to carry those. We're going to walk through that narrow gate. We must lose all of that. It's time for repentance. It's time for turning from our sin or from getting dumping this baggage that we're carrying with us and and come through that, that gate with a clean slate as empty vessels. But that's not easy. It is not easy. We see, in fact, in, in John chapter 6, verses 66 and 67, this is after Jesus was teaching something very tough. He said, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? It's a question because it got too hard. They didn't want to do it. Walking through that narrow gate is very difficult. But on the other hand, that wide gate or that wide road is broad and it's easy. And many there are that, that go that way. What does this path look like, this wide path? What does it look like? Instead of becoming generous as God asked us to with the poor, we keep our money that God has entrusted to us all to ourselves and say that, well, once I get X amount of dollars in the bank for retirement or for that, that uh, 
that savings that we're told that we have to have in the bank, then we'll start giving. That's not, that's not Jesus' policy. He, God, he's saying that, that, that we need just give, give it as God directs you. Well, a lot of us, instead of giving, uh, casting all our cares on the Lord, he says, don't be anxious for anything. We're anxious people. We worry about tomorrow, what we're going to wear, what we're going to live, where, especially the people in, in Puerto Rico. They're concerned about what they're going to be eating. We need to be praying for them, that these, truck, these roads will get open, that the supplies will get to them. We need to be praying for them. There, there, there's some reason for anxiety, but for us who live in the safety of Easton, I mean, when's the last real flood we've had? You know, it's not very big. There's not much damage that takes place. Not like down there. But we get anxious. So we, he says, are you going to cast that onto me or are you going to continue to live in your anxiety and fear? And we become disillusioned and we begin walking down that path that leads to destruction. Now that word destruction, I found that to be very interesting um, because besides the word damnation, which it does mean, that's how we can apply this to salvation because you're either on that narrow gate that leads to life everlasting or you're on that road that leads to destruction, it means damnation. But it also means, it has another meaning to it, the word wasted, a wasted life. That somebody who has come to know the Lord but refuses to throw off all that excess baggage that they're carrying, the sin and the corruption that is still harboring, you know, swelling around in their mind and heart, we're walking that wide road which leads to a wasted life in light of eternity. We're going to get to heaven, and when he says he's going to wipe away all the tears, I think it's going to be tears of regret. Oh, man, I, sh I, should have, I shouldn't have lived like that. Oh, man, God, I know you asked me to, to do that, but, but I was afraid what people might think. Or, God, I know that that, that that money that you blessed me with, you asked me to give that, to share that with somebody, and, and I refused because I was afraid I might not have enough to pay my bills. You know, we're going to get up there, and what's the point? It, what is the, the point of, of living for ourselves here on this earth in light of what's going to be happening in eternity? That's what he's asking. So that word destruction has a dual meaning of damnation and a wasted life. On the other hand, for those who are generous or are not anxious entering that narrow road, we can expect to have some problems. It's not an easy road. But we're also going to be able to experience great joy, unbelievable joy. Jesus said, is saying here, you've heard all that I'm expecting of you now, you need to get on board. About nine years ago, Steve Musser, who was our district superintendent at the time, came to Cornerstone for some meetings. And uh, we were thinking of, you know, we were talking about becoming a church without walls and reaching out into our community. We started on ramps and, and we were doing all these things. And he came in and he was shared something with me I never forget. As we were thinking of how we can present this to the congregation, he made a point that, that some people were offended by this. He said, you need to get on the bus or get off. There's no two ways about it. You either need to get involved and plug in here, or you need to get off and, and go find a church that, is, that meets your passions and, and, 
and, and lifestyle. He's not saying that, that you're not saved. But he's saying this is the direction that Cornerstone is going. We are going to become a church that's going into Cheston School. It's going into the prisons. Going into nursing homes. And, and going out and raking leaves in, in the fall. And, and uh, doing mulch in the, in the spring. And all these things. Because we're becoming a church without walls. We're reaching out into our community. The staff... The elders, the deacons, and everyone in the pew needs to say, you know what, I'm going to be a part of that. Or go find a church that, that needs, meets your passions that you want to serve in. Said so this is the way it is. And it's, it's been, it's stuck with me all these years. I've never forgotten that. This decision to follow hard after Christ is a tough choice we all have to make. One preacher, he said this, he said, that to make this, we don't make this, this, we, sorry, we have to make this decision on our own. Our family, our friends, our church cannot make the decision for you to follow God. You have to make that decision apart from anyone else. It's not a family affair. It's not a church. Everybody in the church is you as an individual needing to make that decision. So just by coming to church doesn't mean that, that you're on board with this. It's a decision you have to make. So that brings up the second meaning to the word narrow. So that second meaning of narrow in verse 14 implies that of trouble, persecution, and tribulation. I thought, that is interesting. Because he already said it's, it's, it's that narrow road earlier we talked about. It's, it's going to be full of obstacles and, 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 and things that are going to cause us to trip up and want to turn around and go back. But now he's saying, on top of that, you can expect to have troubles and tribulations and persecution. Be prepared. Be prepared for it. So as we squeeze through that narrow gate, that narrow road, we can expect to be confronted with trouble because the world does not like it when when we walk like that, when we're living a life that doesn't conform to the way they're thinking, they're going to let us know. So, for example, if you believe John 14, verse 6, when Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, no one comes to the Father except through me. That's narrow-minded, isn't it? The world doesn't like that. You're considered extremely narrow-minded and you can come under persecution for holding that view so why can't a buddhist get to heaven don't they believe in a, a god little g conflict will continue in our lives until that day we go to glory i can't wait well what conclusions can we draw from these verses so coming back to our context, once again, Jesus taught, all these things that Jesus taught, we should ask the question, do I want to live a life of total surrender, or do I want to continue in my sin and keep walking that broad road of sin and selfishness which leads to an unfulfilled life? One author wrote, he said, the road is a wide entrance has a wide entrance and is spacious, meaning it is easy to locate and to get onto. Because of its size, there are no limitations as to baggage. 
You could take anything along that you please. You do not have to leave anything behind. To stay on it, all you have to do is follow your own inclinations. Absolutely no effort is required. That is so profound. So simple, but profound. Throughout the whole sermon that Jesus was preaching, he was building to this climax, these two verses, this choice that you have to make. There's only two choices, the narrow road or the wide road. There's no other choice. And John Stott wrote in his book, he said, Jesus cuts across syncretism. We can't have a little of this and a little of that. You can't blend the two. There's no syncretism allowed in this. It's either all in or you're not. That's what he's saying. I hear people, I hear people today, I hear this often when I'm talking to people saved and, and unsaved alike. I think that blah, 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 blah. You fill in the blank. Well, when it comes down to it, it doesn't matter what you think, does it? It matters what this word says. This is what we base our life on. So when Jesus says, this road, this narrow road that I'm asking you to go down, if you're not entering that road, you're automatically on this wide road that leads to a worthless life or that leads to destruction if you're not a believer yet. It leads to hell. These two gates represent, when it comes right down to it, there's a contrast between true godliness and self-righteousness. They both point to heaven. Both these roads point to heaven. They both point to salvation. But one is a true salvation, and one is one that I, I try to finagle on my own. I think if I live my life like this, then I'm going to please God. Or if I, do, if I go to this church, or if I help these people out, I'm going to be good enough. When God's saying, no, you need to be on this narrow road. Leave your baggage behind, and let's go. When we came through that narrow cave, that narrow tunnel inside that cave, we squeezed through there, and we came out and shined our flashlights around. It was like, Wow, this is awesome. Seeing this undisturbed formations on the walls and on the ceilings and coming up from the floor, it was beautiful. It was thrilling. The glory that we experienced when we pushed through that hard, hard part. And that's what he's saying here. You push through that hard part and you're going to experience a life abundant. Who wouldn't want to live a contented and fulfilled life. Who doesn't? I do. I want to live one. But in order to reach that abundant life, there are or there will be some rough roads to traverse and tough choices to make. Am I going to stay sexually pure till I get married or am I going to compromise and sleep with her just to see what it's like? Because the temptation is too strong. There's a fine line there. Am I going to Fudge on my taxes because I'm going to have to pay more. Or am I going to take this shortcut in building this project in order to save money? I'm going to buy cheap parts when I've given an estimate for this amount and I 
and I do it with less quality product? These choices that we are bombarded with on a daily basis, they cause our heart to, to, to be construed and, and just to be messed up. But as we push through those things to the glory of God, what joy awaits us on the other side? William MacDonald wrote in his commentary, he said, The gate of Christian discipleship is narrow and the way is difficult, but those who faithfully follow his teachings find the abundant life. On the other hand, there is a, a wide gate a self, of self, a life self, self-indulgence and pleasure. The end of such a life is destruction. This is not a dis- discussion of losing one's soul. I love this part here. But of the failure to live out the purpose of one's existence. That you may be a Christian, you may have had Christ in your heart, but you're not living that potential. You're cutting yourself short of what God can do through you. He's saying, get, get, let's go. Let's get on that path and watch what he does. Paul's challenge to us in Philippians 2.12, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He's telling us, now that you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, let's start growing and living out that life that you already have. It's already ours. This whole series... We've been focusing on the king and his kingdom, that narrow and wide gate or the road, that way that he's talking about, is the crossroads for us. We can walk that narrow road worshiping God on his rightful throne, or we can be on the broad road with me on the throne and be unfulfilled. When we try to satisfy ourselves, when we try to live the life and our own strength, is all, we're always going to be disappointed. It's a fact. What are you going to do about this sermon that Jesus recorded for us? Are you going to drop all your preconceived ideas of spirituality and enter into that narrow road through that narrow gate? Or are you going to just disregard God's claim on your life and continue down the road that leads to a wasted life of unfruitfulness, or for those of you who have never accepted the Lord, eternal damnation. It's your choice. And the interesting thing is one author wrote, he said, Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount the way he begins it. He began it by saying, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the merciful. These are the things that he preached about. After he did the Beatitudes, he started breaking it down, saying, this is what life is about. This is how I want you to live. So if we want to be walk the way of being blessed and living that fulfilled life, we need to enter that narrow gate, need to enter that narrow way. Let's do it. All right? Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray.